0: Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh,
1: that's old-fashioned. <laughs> Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello.
2: And welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
1: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
2: Our show today is rockin' because we're gonna talk about intercultural weddings, how to avoid divulging how much your rent is, how to downgrade your gifting practices with long-distance friends, and more, plus a PostScript conversation on bad guests.
3: That's
1: all coming up.
2: Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be part of the Infinite Guest Network from American Public Media. I'm Lizzie Post.
1: And I'm Dan Post-Senning, and we're from the Emily Post Institute.
2: And we wanted to welcome some new listeners today. We've got new listeners.
1: We do. The show's audience keeps growing and growing, and we so appreciate that, and we appreciate all of you. And it's been a while since we've had a chance to really express and share that appreciation.
2: We get a lot of emails that actually start Dear Awesome Etiquette Team, and we were thinking about the fact that really the team is everyone who's listening, too, because without you, this show just doesn't exist
1: particularly in this new year where we've really made an effort to broaden the show and the way we approach it. And we can't thank Hans enough for the incredible work and time that he's put in to get as many audience voices as we possibly can included each week.
2: And we really want to thank you, our audience, for being willing participants to hear your voice, to hear your salute, to hear your question or your comment. It just so enriches the show and it makes us feel so connected to you it does bring our connection closer and we really want to thank you for being willing to participate and lend your voice to our show
1: we're learning so much we're learning from your feedback we're learning from your questions from your salutes and i really hope it's and i know lizzie does also that we're all learning together that you're learning from each other as we go along and we take heart from your good questions and your positive salutes, and um, we take comfort in figuring out how to deal with difficult situations together, and we really couldn't do it without you. So this is just one of those moments where we get to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you.
2: So if this is your first episode, welcome. Shall we get to some listener questions?
1: Let's do it.
0: Hello, good-looking. will you tell me what's cooking? I- I've got eyes for you if you do the walking, baby I' do the talking there's a lot of things that we could do I hold
1: on each and every and episode of awesome etiquette we take your questions on how to behave if you have a question for us you can email it to awesome at emilypost.com or give us a call at 802 866 860
2: our first question is is titled with just such a Classic phrase, don't look a gift horse.
1: Leah and I became close friends about 10 years ago because we are both involved in the same online communities and are connected on a personal level via instant messages. She lives in a different city, but we've met even in person several times. Since our friendship started, we have exchanged gifts for Christmas and birthdays. I'm an avid knitter and love making things for her, and she sends me thoughtful, clever, yarn-related presents. I treasure her gifts, especially since the only other presents I ever get are from my family. Over the past few years, we have drifted apart, just because life moves on. Now, we mostly keep an occasional contact via Twitter and Facebook. Because of this, the gift exchange has begun to feel a bit awkward. Last Christmas, I didn't send her anything, and I assumed she was on the same page, until she sent me some gorgeous yarn. My birthday is coming up next week. I suspect she'll send me something, but I don't know for certain. How can I tell Leah that her now distant friendship is quite enough and that a present is unnecessary without sounding like I was expecting something anyway? Yours, but without gifts, Maggie.
2: Oh, Maggie. First of all, I want to congratulate you on having a good, successful online friendship that then transferred. I had a friend... That I met on a weight loss website and we became good friends and wound up exchanging phone numbers and wound up calling each other regularly. We even met up in person. It was just a really she's like a big sister to me. Um, So it's it's nice. You can really form some really wonderful friendships this way. But you're right that sometimes they also fade as time goes on. This isn't someone that's in your city, that's in your neighborhood, that's easy to connect with in person that often. And those relationships do tend to fade a little bit over time. I think you just accept the gifts for right now. It's okay that you're not sending ones to her. You might send a card or something instead. That could be a way to kind of downgrade from a gift, but to still be reaching out. One of the things Dan and I talk about a lot when it comes to gifts is that gifts don't have to be reciprocal. That sometimes, especially in friendships that fade, I can name numerous years where friends and I gave gifts to each other and then didn't for years after that, and it was okay. Or... Vice versa, hadn't given gifts and then all of a sudden someone has a little more in their budget and they want to spend some money on their friends. And it's okay for gift giving to kind of ebb and flow throughout friendships.
1: And it's totally natural that you might at some point see something, oh, there's a, a bin of yarn discounted at a local crafting store and it makes you think of an old friend who you knew loved knitting and it's the perfect gift and it falls into your hand or you remember them for a certain reason. And that might be one of those examples where you're just inspired to give a gift and someone might be inspired to give a gift to you. And like Lizzie says, there's there's no expectation of reciprocity. It's just that this moment occurred and I was really thinking of you and I wanted you to know That I was thinking of you. I love the card idea also. You mentioned in your question that you knitted her things in the past. That's a a very involved gift. And you could just lower the stakes and still acknowledge that friendship. But you don't necessarily need to spend all the time crafting something original for every Christmas or birthday.
2: And I keep trying to think of the, the normal things that people will say like, oh, you didn't have to or you shouldn't have or please don't think you have to send something. But All of those wound up devaluing the nice gesture. And at the end of the day, what you want to say is, thank you for the yarn. That was so nice of you. And, you know, it just it doesn't have to be this big exchange that always happens.
1: I am reminded that some people are just awesome. Yes. And there are people that are going to take care of you and that are going to be special friends. And I can think of people in my life that always seem to nail it. They always get the birthday cards out and they always remember that anniversary or that retirement moment, whatever it is. They, they know how to honor and respect friendships. And I treasure those people. I think they're amazing. I think they're awesome. I aspire to be as much like them as possible. But... We also can't worry if, if we don't hit that mark every time. Maggie, we hope that helps and that you're able to continue to enjoy this friendship for years to come.
2: Our next question is titled Not Invited. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, my boyfriend and I have been in a serious relationship for three years. During that time, every wedding we've been invited to by friends, we've been invited to as a couple. Recently, One of his close college friends got engaged, and when the invitation came, my boyfriend was invited, but not given a plus one. My boyfriend is friends with both the bride and the groom, but is closer to the bride. They live out of state, and I have never met either of them since I did not attend the same college that they did. I'm extremely hurt by this. I feel that the couple is not validating our relationship, which is anything but casual. My boyfriend and I discuss getting married in the future and I know I will have to invite both of them to our wedding. Am I allowed to feel hurt by this snub? Can I not invite this couple to my wedding? As people in our late 20s, shouldn't we always receive a plus one to a wedding invitation? Best, not invited.
1: Ah, not invited. I'm sorry that You feel hurt by this. It's something that we hear about at the Emily Post Institute, not infrequently. And I've I've heard a version of this question enough times that I feel really comfortable saying, please don't feel too hurt by this. People have very difficult times putting together wedding guest lists. You have to make a lot of really difficult and tough decisions. And There are many different reasons that people feel hurt when they're not invited to weddings, and sometimes it's they just can't believe they weren't invited. They feel like they knew this person. They were close to them, and it's not even a comment on a relationship. It's about a a direct connection, and I would give that person the same advice that I would give you, which is it's almost impossible to put yourself in the head of someone who's putting together a guest list. Sometimes people have to draw lines even within a generation of relatives, that some cousins get invited and some cousins don't. And it's just a cost decision. It's a money decision. There's a hard parameter. There's a number of seats in the venue. And they just can't invite everybody that they would like to invite.
2: Did you know that cutting the guest list is actually the number one way to trim your budget for a wedding?
1: I did not know that.
2: Yeah, because it affects almost everything. Yeah. So it's common. I want to jump in and just say that... um, I totally understand you're feeling hurt by this, especially because you and your boyfriend have been together for three years. One thing you might want to consider, I don't know your current living situation with your boyfriend, but it used to be one of the standards for a very, very, very long time was that only live-in couples were invited to weddings together. And so if this is a couple that really doesn't know you, only knows your boyfriend, has never met you in the three years you guys have been dating... And if you don't live together, they might have gone by that rule because they don't know you and because they might have to be really judicious about that guest list. And that just could be one thing. I'm not necessarily saying the couple is right for having done that. I think a three-year relationship is a long enough established relationship. The fact that... Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. you've never met them, makes me wonder how connected he is to this couple anymore. You know, they were college friends. I don't know how much they keep in touch. I don't know how aware they are that you guys have a very serious relationship where you talk about marriage and that sort of thing. Just things to think about. Again, I don't know the answers to them. I'm just trying to give you other things to think about. But one thing that you did close with that I want to bring up as you said, as people in our late 20s, shouldn't we always receive a plus one to a wedding invitation? And that's absolutely not true. And I really try to dispel that every chance I get because it's not true. The bride and groom have no obligation just because of your age or your status of being single or even your status of dating someone to send that invitation, to extend that invitation with a plus one. Um, it used to be that weddings, you never got a plus one if you were single because it was your chance to go and meet people through friends of family that were probably people you would, you know, be interested in. That's not as much the case today. There is a technical aspect to this that you might be able to inquire about that might make you feel a little better. But you have to tread really carefully. In fact, you can't do the treading. This is only your boyfriend who would be able to do this. But knowing how close you two are and how serious your relationship is, and maybe not knowing what he has divulged to the couple about your relationship. There's a chance that what he could do would be to say, hey, John, I just wanted to check in with you and make sure that this wasn't a mistake. However, I noticed that only my name was on the invitation and Jill, who I've been with for the past Three years and I'm looking to propose to was not invited. And I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. You might not include the part about who you're looking to propose to or how serious the relationship is, but you can tread very carefully into those waters if you genuinely think it is a true oversight, a true mistake that they just were not aware Of you two as a serious couple. They may say, oh my gosh, we didn't know, but unfortunately our guest list, we can't accommodate another person. They might say, we'll let you know once we get some no's back if we're able to accommodate her. Or, oh my goodness, we had no idea. We would love for Jill to be able to come to the wedding and we'd love to get a chance to meet her. This, again, very delicate territory to tread into. This is risky waters and I would only go there if, if you're really, really, really sure that it's okay.
1: I just have to jump back in and share that having gone through the, the difficult and tricky task of managing a wedding guest list, I really think that approaching that kind of an ask with the caution, the extreme caution that my cousin Lizzie is advising is is the right course if you are going to make that ask. Generally speaking, it's not an expectation that someone gets that plus one. So you, this is one of those cases where you're knowing the rule in order to know how to break it.
2: Not invited. We hope that this provides a little bit of context potentially, maybe, possibly, very small chance gives you a way to address it. But mostly, I really hope that you don't feel slighted and that you understand that this probably was an oversight due to circumstance. Best of luck. And hopefully, when it is your turn, you will either choose to invite this couple with all the enthusiasm that you are going to bring to your wedding day, or you just say, you know what, they didn't make the guest
1: list. And I think that's fine. This question's about a shy renter. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I recently moved into my dream apartment and am unpacking furiously so I can get started on planning the housewarming. I usually love hosting, but I've realized there's something I dread about throwing housewarming parties. I've noticed over the years that the first time I have a friend over to a new place that I'm living in, they invariably ask me what I'm paying for rent. I know that this only comes from a place of curiosity about the rental market and not nosiness. We live in a very competitive city for housing, but it makes me really uncomfortable. Someone usually asks the question casually and in front of several people. I don't think these same friends would ask someone how much they paid for a home that they bought, unless they are a close friend and we're having a heart-to-heart about finances. I'm not really comfortable sharing that personal financial information. Do you have a sample script for a few things I could say when someone asks me about this? Even though I think the question itself is very rude, I know my friends mean well, and I don't want to embarrass them or make them feel uncomfortable. I also don't want to make a big deal of not answering what seems to be a normal question to my friends. Sincerely, shy renter.
2: this is a, this is an interesting one, right? Like, it's so the, the, for the most part, I don't think the questions are that rude. But at the same time, asking someone how much they pay for where they live is really rude. But I hear people asking this all the time. Oh, what did you pay? And as my friends start to buy houses or condos or apartments, they're asking about the full price that was paid. Things like these are really personal questions, yet very common to share to get an idea of what your peers are actually spending and which is kind of silly because you don't know how much they make, so you don't know how you know. This is get where of, I'm going with this. I
1: absolutely do. This is one of those examples of how something that's incredibly rude can feel very casual. How people can offer real offense while they're thinking they're in very safe territory. Totally. When we talk about tiers to a conversation, that third tier, the potentially most difficult, the the really F-F. personal, FF family and finance, and this falls into finances. And when I'm teaching that content, I'll often say some people are looking for an apartment. In lower Manhattan, and all they care about are the cost of units and the cost of apartments, renting, buying, and it's a hot topic of conversation. As soon as that becomes a personal decision that someone's made, it becomes a very personal piece of information. And how you navigate that transition between what could be a very public and safe conversation and one that's very personal and private can happen very quickly. And you need to be careful not to step across that line unintentionally.
2: And I do think there's some good language to deflect, and I think I would just get very comfortable using it if I were you, especially because you don't want to share. And I think that it's okay to say, oh, I'd rather not say, or as much as I could afford, or feels like an arm and a leg, or you looking to jump on it when I'm gone? (laughs) Like, you know, you can crack the joke, you can do something, but I think deflecting is your best idea. Most people... At most, I think you might get back a, no, but seriously, how much do you pay? And you could say, no, but seriously, I really don't feel comfortable
1: talking about it. <laughs> I, I, I do like the humor in this particular case because it's not sarcastic or deceptive. No. It's just a, a little bit evasive in yep. the face of what was maybe an unintentionally prying question. I also really like the way the question's phrased that sometimes this question comes up in front of friends and to call out the question in front of others starts to become its own etiquette faux pas of. Yes. Of maybe the slight of asking something inappropriate is less severe than the slight of calling someone else out for their bad manners of asking something inappropriate in front of other people. It's one of those. Does that second rudeness end up making the situation any better or making it worse? So. I like the sample language that stays light, that keeps the answer in an evasive but a not scolding territory. Shy renter, we really hope this helps and that you enjoy your new apartment and that the housewarming goes really well.
2: Our next question is about proper text speak. Greetings, Post family. I have a friend with a curious style of communication through text. She insists on using punctuation, capital letters, and full words. She avoids abbreviation, text lingo, and emojis entirely, stating that she is an educated woman and skilled writer and doesn't wish to dumb herself down or degrade the quality of her writing. As an English teacher myself, I totally get where she's coming from. However, in a medium in which so much emotion can be lost in translation, I believe... Proper English is socially inappropriate for texting and upholding language rules actually interferes with communication. For example, not knowing about this quirk, I had asked my friend if she would be attending a party I was throwing, and she replied, I can't make it, period. Sorry, period. The curtness of those periods in the text made me think she was angry or annoyed, so I asked if she was okay, and she replied, I'm fine, period. Have fun, period. I asked her about this later and was surprised that she was, in fact, fine and sincerely apologetic that she could not attend. I find that the convention, at least among females in our age group and among friends, would be to soften the message by leaving out the periods, adding an exclamation point, or including a smiley face. My friend feels that the enthusiasm conveyed by excessive exclamation points is not true to her personality, and worse, that emojis can be misconstrued as flirtation. I argued that rather than coming across as educated, she seems less tech-savvy. I joked that her style is as pragmatically inappropriate as when my grandma signs her texts and social media posts and suggested that she give a disclaimer to everyone she texts in order to avoid miscommunications. Regardless of my opinion, I don't think her messages are being understood how she intends them to be. What do you think? Is there ever a bad time for good English? (laughs) Or is there ever a good time for bad English? Thanks for your help, Brittany.
1: Brittany, what a phenomenal question. It's really all about how manners change and evolve over time, and the manners that change the most rapidly tend to be manners in our communication environment, and I can really sense in your question you struggling to keep pace with those changing expectations, and I can also see your concern for a friend and for a friendship, and... I also really appreciate your willingness to think about how you would talk to this person about it. It's a, a point of particularly good etiquette. We call it the broccoli on the tooth rule. Your willingness to address a awkward or potentially difficult situation with someone to help them avoid further embarrassment down the line. And this is definitely one of those cases. I'm also really appreciative of your friend's perspective here. I, I sometimes jokingly refer to myself as an old man texter. I'm I'm terrible at the medium. You I'm are. getting better at no, it.
2: I'm just kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry. Because she knows, she's experienced the Daniel Post sending old man texting effect. It can effect. be
2: downright complicated. What do you mean by that, Dan?
1: <laughs> so th- this is also not an uncommon situation or problem in these new mediums where there are new expectations. And yeah. we oftentimes think about the relationship that's being served when we think about what's the appropriate manner or approach to a communication etiquette question. In this particular case, you're talking about a friendship that's a pretty casual, informal friendship. And there's an expectation that's pretty common among a group of friends that one person isn't as aware of. And cluing that person in, I think, is really is an example of good manners in the, the situation that you're describing.
2: I'm amazed at how charged an exclamation point can be. It's an interesting thing to me that this woman, Brittany's friend, doesn't feel like an exclamation point fits with her personality in terms of how she would very positively tell her friend, I'm sorry, I can't make it have fun. Like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm in Brittany's camp. I'm, you know, I'm someone who uses a lot of expression. And I tend to say things like, Oh, have fun, you know, like, Three Oh, but have a great time. yeah, because I, I want people to feel that. And I know that when you're typing your communication, when someone's going to read it, what you had intended as positive is going to translate to them and be read as much more neutral. And what you intend as neutral will often be read as negative. And you got caught in exactly that she's intending something positive and and light. And it came off as really dead and flat to you. I don't think she needs to be giving disclaimers to people. I think as people get to know her, they'll understand her style. My brother-in-law does not love the use of exclamation points. I can, having gotten to know him better over the past six or seven years, eight years, I can hear when he's making a joke, even though it's just all periods, I can hear when he's doing something that's in his voice and I can imagine how he's saying it and I know not to take it as harsh and curt and and stuck or something like that.
1: I love how you're honoring an expectation that's built within a relationship. Yes. And we often talk about that, that it's as important to honor expectations that have developed over time as it is grand traditions that may or may not have relevance to the people involved and that those particular expectations that evolve are really important and you, you can establish those by being consistent.
2: As our communication norms change, this is one where we could be starting to see a change where in in our electronic written communications, it might become more appropriate for us to be using exclamation points or something like an emoji or even just, you know, you'll see someone put in parentheses after something like joking or, you know, they might put their intention in parentheses after what they've written so that you know and you can clarify what's going on. And I think your friend... Might be someone who adopts that as it comes along, and she might be someone who doesn't. And hopefully people will learn to understand when it comes to her. But what I hope is that you can read her periods not as stark conversation, but understand that your friend is probably trying to communicate to you to genuinely have fun and enjoy yourself. One last thing I want to point out before we close this question out is that exclamation points are actually within proper grammar. It's just not overusing them. It's not over. It's not using them for every single end of your sentence or using 10 of them. But in this, I'm thinking about the I'm fine. Have fun. The have fun could have used an exclamation point that would convey even a light have fun of have fun. It's a happy tone. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. It's okay to put an exclamation point in order to convey that that light enthusiasm
1: even. And in today's electronic mediums, we're going to use those a little more frequently. We maybe use them less frequently in the essays that we wrote for English class in high school. (laughs) But that middle territory is safe territory to explore. And particularly as we adopt these new mediums, we're maybe expanding that safe territory a little bit. In fact, I know we are because I see it happening all around me. Brittany, thanks for this question. And we really hope that this friendship between two English teachers who are clearly passionate about the English language continues for many years.
2: But there's more. What's that? More questions coming up, but first, a word from our sponsors.
0: Here, let's try
3: another trick.
2: Our next question is titled, Perplexed Intercultural Bride.
1: Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My fiancé and I are planning a wedding for later this year, and there's an intercultural conundrum we're facing. My American and international friends and my enormous Latino family all love to dance, laugh, and enjoy themselves with a few drinks at a party. His friends and family are the same, with one important exception. His mom is a conservative Muslim. My fiancé does not identify as a believer at all. This puts us in a potentially uncomfortable situation. My future mother-in-law believes that dancing in mixed-gendered company, listening to non-religious music, and drinking alcohol are all sinful. In our mental picture of our ideal wedding, we will share a first dance as husband and wife. Everyone will be free to enjoy wine, beer, and a little champagne if they like, and I will dance with my future husband, with our friends, and with our relatives. How can I have a wedding that balances her needs with our vision for the wedding, and the norm for weddings in my own boisterous dancing and drinking family? I understand where she's coming from. It's natural for her to feel moral outrage over behavior she considers sinful, And if it's at her son's wedding, then that might be even harder to bear. I care deeply for her feelings and would be saddened if our wedding became a traumatic experience for her. At the same time, I'm extremely reluctant to have a wine and dancing-free event. The only one who might be happy with that is my future mother-in-law. Sincerely, A Perplexed Intercultural Bride
2: Oh, perplexed intercultural bride, I just want to congratulate you first on your upcoming wedding, but also on your ability to look at the people who are going to participate in this wedding, look at their clearly... Very opposite beliefs in terms of of moral behavior. I mean, not just good etiquette, but we're talking morals, deep seated beliefs within yourself as to how people should conduct themselves. That's a big thing to to take and try and uphold and try to make right when they are so, so very different um, from these two different cultures that are coming together. I am... Going to suggest that if you have it in your budget, if you have a way to do this in your budget, that you try to do a small ceremony with his mother and then do a larger wedding that's a Latino-style wedding. Do separate locations, separate events. Because I think it might be one of the few ways to make mom really comfortable and still a part of something that's so big in her son's life, and yet also make you and your family, which is clearly a lot of people who like like to party and like to celebrate in that manner. And you don't want these two clashing and colliding. I think it's the most respectful thing to do is to actually separate them with that. What I am going to say is that I think if your fiancé thinks it would be a good idea to talk to mom about this, about, hey, mom, my fiancé's family really celebrates in a manner that we know you're very uncomfortable with, and we really want to be able to have both families celebrate our marriage in a way that makes them feel comfortable, so here's what we'd like to do. I think that's a conversation you should have with mom, just to let her know where you're coming from. You're not trying to keep her away from everybody. You're not trying to sequester her in some way. You're trying to make her comfortable and uphold her values and be respectful of them, and I think that there is a way to do that. I would encourage you to find a different type of event. Maybe it's a, a morning after brunch where you don't serve alcohol and there isn't dancing where the families can really get together and enjoy time together. So whatever creative way you can come up to structure that, maybe it's the Friday night you actually do the wedding ceremony with mom. It's the You use the rehearsal dinner as an actual wedding ceremony and it's with this close intimate group and there's no drinking and there's no dancing and then the next day is the big kind of wedding in front of everybody else and and with all the drinking and dancing or maybe you use the farewell brunch if you do one of those as a way to bring everyone together, but again, keep these celebrations a little bit separate and a little respectful of, of everyone's
1: beliefs. As you're thinking about how to talk to mom, be sure that you remember to ask her how she would like to handle the situation. She's probably got some ideas about... What would feel good for her and what would make her most comfortable as you start to plan and figure out exactly how you're going to make these accommodations that are going to make everyone comfortable and able to really enjoy themselves?
2: I feel like that'll make people feel supported rather than controlled, which is a nice way to, to keep things on the we're doing this all together. And I, I like that spirit. It also allows her not to be surprised if she didn't know any of this was happening and then found out there was this other big party that she wasn't invited to because it was going to look sinful to her. I think that could be a bit of a shock. So I I love that spirit of really being so inclusive. The other thing that I will say is I do think it's important not just to focus on the groom's mother, but also to communicate to the bride's family that this is what's going on. These are the differences between our belief systems and this is the way that we're trying to manage respect between all of it. And it just keeps everyone in the loop and understanding what's going on. Hopefully you guys have a wonderful intercultural wedding and everyone is able to celebrate in a way they feel great about.
0: Well now, wasn't that better? Look at the effect of a little politeness.
1: Thank you for your questions. You can send updates and comments to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or you can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860 or on Twitter using the hashtag awesomeetiquette. Etiquette.
2: hear what you think about all the etiquette we discussed. So it's time for your feedback.
1: Our producer Hans has had the pleasure of getting to hear what you had to say and he's here to talk about it.
3: Hi Hans. Hello. Uh, First up we have Monica over on Facebook. So she had an interesting bit of a sample language for the person who asked recently about how to tell people that she was waiting to eat until everyone else had been served uh, which is the way that she says she had been brought up. So this question asker felt like saying, I was raised that way, was putting down other people's childhoods. So, wanted some alternate language on how she could say that same thing and respect herself, but not intimidate other people. So, Monica offered up, oh, it's habit to wait. So, this in action sounds like, Hey, why aren't you eating?
2: Oh, it's just a habit for me to wait for everyone.
3: Monica said that she would personally add the word just to make the phrase, it's just habit. But she's trying to stop doing that because... It can be a very minimizing and overuse, especially when used by women.
2: My cousin Dan so agrees with you about this.
3: I do. I read an essay
1: years ago about the minimizing power of the word just. And it's been one of those little things that I'm always looking for in my own speech. And I've been trying to, to trim it out so I don't minimize what I say all the time with the word just. And I, I love hearing other people with that same awareness and attention.
2: I like that you bring that awareness and attention to my life. <laughs> just and need
1: And I also want to thank Monica for that language. I love the idea of acknowledging that it's a habit for you. You don't need to get into where that habit started from. I think this is an elegant solution to
3: what we found to be a difficult question. Indeed. Yes. Thank you, Monica. Uh, So we also heard from Joyce over on Facebook. She was responding to a question from episode 87. And so this question was a couple who had missed a charity gala because of a missed plane connection. The husband hadn't made the plane connection, therefore couldn't get to the charity gala. And the couple was wondering how to handle apologizing for not being able to make it to the gala. One thing in that question that you, Lizzie and Dan, both said was that you felt like even if the husband was delayed, couldn't attend the gala that the wife still should have gone to the gala without him. So Joyce offered the interesting perspective that, quote, I know the listener did not offer an explanation of why his wife was not comfortable going alone, but wanted to acknowledge that there may have been a compelling reason for her choice. In putting myself in the wife's shoes, I too may have been unwilling to attend. I suffered a brain injury several years ago. Consequently, I avoid driving in the dark, particularly when I may be tired. It's a self-restriction and one done for my own comfort level.
1: We couldn't agree any more. We often say that safety trumps etiquette and practicality is the heart of good etiquette. And if there's a safety concern, absolutely, the wife has a, a perfectly good reason for not attending. I would definitely make that part of the communication when I touch base with that couple about why neither person who were initially supposed to be there had attended. And it wouldn't be my the first thing I mentioned so that it wouldn't be perceived as an excuse. But I would try to figure out a way to let the couple know all of the reasons why the two people that had accepted the invitation that night weren't able to attend.
3: So for our final piece of feedback, I want everybody to cast your minds back a few months the chilly months of January. It's a brave new year. And Lizzie, you wanted to make a resolution in 2016, right?
2: That's right. My New Year's resolution, which I fully admit is not what you might expect from an etiquette expert, was um to clean up my language. I think there are more intelligent words that I could use than some of the four-letter curse, swear, cuss words, whatever you want to call them, that have crept into my language lately. And so I had I really wanted to clean them up. I had wanted to save them for really, you know, exclamatory moments. <laughs> Can a moment be exclamatory? Yes. Um, I was really touched by all the suggestions that people sent in. And a, actually, a couple of them are are ones that I use. But we had a listener who... I really like because she's written to us a number of times. I'm actually very fond whenever I see her name show up in our inbox. and she sent a whole list, a big list of of different things alternate language to use
1: and we thought we would share a couple of them with all of you.
2: Dan is going to read the list to give me example language and he is going to do his best dramatic recitation of these words. so really, really, make it seem like something I'd want to use.
1: crumb. <laughs> It's catchier than you'd think, says our listener. Okay. Crumpet. (laughs) A a longer version of crump. Blast. Best used with a British accent. Blast.
2: That's a terrible British accent. (laughs) Blast. Like, you know, it's like blast. Blast.
1: Close. (laughs) Curses. Best if spoken like a vaudeville villain. Good night?
2: That one I don't get.
1: Me either. I'm not quite sure the tone that I'm supposed
2: That's to say good night I'm in. That's the one I'm not as sure as,
3: that how that would go. Well, I think there. if you use it in context, it actually might be, ah, oh, good night.
2: Ah, good night. Yeah, good well night. Well done. Like Man. that? Should I adopt that Maybe? one? Are people going to think I'm weird? Schnitzel. That one I use all the time.
1: Shirt sleeves. Never. Shut the front door.
2: <laughs> that one cracked me up because it showed up in those uh, those gum commercials at one point. It was really funny. Shut the front door. Right. Seriously. Hello, Hello sir. Bingo. Mahjong. For
1: reals. Whoop, whoop. Franklin Delano.
2: I like those. The other ones that have crept in are fudgesicles, and uh, sugar. Ah, sugar. And I kind of like ah, sugar. There's a little, little southern tone to it at times that I can get into. But schnitzel, schnitzel is definitely a good substitute. Um, I find it helps if the words are, are somewhat, the the sounds are somewhat similar. Like cheese and rice is one that a lot of people use. Like there there's a lot of them.
3: I can see that theme going on here for sure. Yeah. So speaking of sugar, I especially liked Gwen's comment on Facebook. She suggested sugar honey iced tea.
2: Ah, oh, sugar honey iced tea.
3: Exactly, right? Like, it just rolls. That's good.
2: I want to extend my gratitude to everyone who has sent in suggestions. I really appreciate it. It is something I want to work on. It is something I am trying to change. It's amazing how hard it is to change a habit, especially a bad habit. And I really appreciate everyone's support and encouragement in doing so.
0: You're worried about not doing the right thing. It's only common courtesy, Chuck. Chuck.
2: I know, but I couldn't help it. It's time for the Postscript segment. And today, we just want to talk about bad guests. We want to talk about what it's like to experience a bad guest. What constitutes a bad guest? Who gets labeled a bad guest?
1: I'll tell you, when I first saw this description for this postscript in our run of show script, Script. (laughs) I was saying to myself, boy, what does make a bad guest? Would I ever want to put that on somebody else? And then I started to think to myself, no, I've had them. I've had people (laughs) who were bad guests. And I I started saying to myself, what made them a bad guest? What was it that I found bothersome or annoying or? Well,
2: tell us. What did you? I mean, come on. What's made some of the things where you've just been like, oh,
1: I want this person gone? I think the heart of it yeah. is somebody who's inconsiderate. Yeah. Where I feel like there's demands being made of me and they don't even realize they're making those demands. There's just a complete lack of awareness of what they're asking for. And I think that that, that lack of awareness that you're even playing the role of guests, that you're imposing on other people is sometimes more bothersome to me than the actual imposition itself. So
2: do you think it's things like people saying like, so what time are you going to drive me to the airport tomorrow? Like automatically assuming that they're getting a ride?
1: Perfect example.
2: Yeah, or like, um, all I can think of right now is Cousin Eddie from National Lampoon's Mm -hmm. Christmas Vacation and the bad guest who loads up the grocery cart with like four things of dog food, you know, when the family he's staying with doesn't have a dog and he's... You know, everything's just sloppy and messy and gross. And, you know, man has a heart of gold. But
1: well, when you talk about that, the lack of consideration, too, you'd probably help someone buy some dog food for their dog. I think part of what makes that movie so funny, that character so funny and so um, annoying to the host, Chevy Chase, in that particular situation is that you don't know what's going to happen next. Part of what's so terrible about the offense that's being offered is it indicates a complete lack of awareness that probably means you're in this for the long haul, that it's going to be happening again and again and again. And that, of course, becomes the the real comedy of that particular I'm thinking
2: of the moment where the dog is under the table choking on something and Eddie's just like, oh, he he probably got a bone nosing through the trash or something.
0: Ed? hey, cart? What's wrong with the dog?
3: Oh, he's just yakking on a bone. He got it up. He's all right now.
2: And you know that moment of like, oh, great. Not only is your dog throwing something up on the floor, but he got into the garbage and then the next cut to the scene of them in the kitchen cleaning up all the garbage. And it's the host cleaning up the garbage, not the dog owners. And you just feel it. You see how bad this guest is, just how inconsiderate he is and how polite they're trying to be, how polite they're trying to just manage the situation throughout the whole weekend long. I don't know how this all of a sudden turned into a postscript on National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but it did. We're going there.
1: (laughs) One of the things that makes that movie so funny is that I think the instinct of how to handle a bad guest is often that you endure and that you just don't invite them back, that you match their lack of courtesy with your courtesy, you survive, you do the best you can, you don't invite them back. It's particularly uh, difficult when they're family. Yeah. When it's not just a dinner, but maybe it's a house guest or something like that. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that that starts to build the the comedy into that particular situation. But
2: And the tension into the real versions of those situations, you know?
1: As is so often the case with comedies because it plays on a, a true instinct and a, a true impulse, which yeah. is that you probably don't want to say something or do something. And that, that if you do say something or do something, what you shouldn't do is what our hero in that particular movie ends up doing, which is explode when things just get too bad to bear.
2: (laughs) Hans, what what bad guests are you reminded of? Have you ever been in a situation where you really felt like you wanted to say something, but you weren't sure if you could?
3: Well, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't know if I characterize it as bad guests, but one thing I find challenging, maybe I'll say that challenging about some guests who I've had in the past is when, you spend an unnatural amount of time around people often when they're a guest and you spend, you know, a lot of proximity. And when people don't express any preference at all for how to spend that time, because you don't want to just spend it in the house sitting, looking at each other. So you're like, well, let's go out. Well, what kind of restaurant? I, I don't care.
2: Oh, the I don't care. The passive guest.
1: Yeah. We used to work with somebody that said it's not enough just to get your carcass somewhere. You've got to bring your attention <laughs> as well. <laughs> And it's so true.
2: Well, and it puts so much work on the host. If you're constantly having to entertain this person, I mean, it's just like, whoa, come on.
1: So maybe we need a a second category. There's the guest that shows lack of awareness and isn't considerate. And then there's the guest that's just completely disengaged. Apathetic. That in some ways didn't show up.
3: Even small things can make a big difference, too. Like, I enjoy museums. Oh, that's fantastic. That opens up a whole area of things that I could do to participate in something that you enjoy and we can share together. So it doesn't even have to be big things. People can participate in small ways and that helps a lot.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's it is so funny because when you're spending this much time with someone, you also I feel like as the person's behavior gets worse and worse or it's just simply noticeable, maybe it's not huge, bad things. It's just a lot of little things building up over the course of a three day visit or a four day visit. And I'm wondering, where would you guys feel comfortable saying something? You know, because you're right. We want to avoid the big blow up. But you also want to avoid saying something and then ruining the rest of the visit. So you're like weighing how much, how disruptive, how disrespectful this behavior is. And I think for me, the the defining lines are when things of mine are being ruined Or when real people are taking advantage in a way that really starts to hurt me in some way or hinder me in some way. And I would try two different approaches. If something's really being destroyed or damaged that I'm not okay with, that I feel comfortable speaking up about. Um, Jim, we really are a shoes-off household. I really need you to to understand that while you're here. And I'm happy to remind you every step of the way, but please don't get mad because I'm going to remind you because it's just how our house is. I might also say something like if the person is taking advantage, if I'm feeling like they are constantly um, mooching and never really offering anything. If this is someone who is really close, like if Dan came to visit me and was (laughs) all of a sudden not Dan at all, because Dan (laughs) is very polite. But if someone as close as Dan was visiting me and maybe I just kind of noticed that they hadn't chipped in on groceries, they were always letting me take the bill at the restaurant. I might actually invite and say, hey, let's split the bill tonight. Or, you know, I'm happy to cover dinner tonight, but would you be able to grab the groceries for tomorrow morning? With people that you have that kind of exchange with, it's okay to start suggesting ways for them to chip in. It's very hard for them to say no if you make that kind of a suggestion that sounds
1: reasonable. In your approach to helping someone not walk off the cliff or make the mistake (laughs) that's so bad that it's really going to negatively impact your relationship, you're reminding me of, I think, the good etiquette answer to this situation, which is that your job as a host is often... To help your guest be a good guest, it's one of those few occasions where you really do have some standing to address someone else's behavior. You know, I've been thinking about this weekend that we're all going to be spending together, and I don't, I don't have any activities yet. So I was really wanting to put something together. I was curious: Are you interested in museums or sports or maybe a physical activity while you're here, so that you're prompting, you're drawing out of them those interests and those uh, that that discussion that's going to facilitate you being a good host, them being a good guest, but. In some ways, it's your role as a host to help someone be a good guest. We've talked on this show about our grandfather, Bill Post, and what an incredible host he was. How he was. How amazing he was at putting other people at ease. He made you feel like a good guest in his house. And they oftentimes say you can tell how good a dancer someone is because they can partner with anyone. Then we talk about the host-guest dance, Mm -hmm. and in some ways a bad guest is a challenge to your hosting (laughs) skills. Can you do the dance with anyone? No, really, can you? Two left
2: feet, right? Anyone
1: can dance (laughs) with a partner who's excellent. How good are you at dancing with a partner that's not as practiced and doesn't know all the steps?
2: Oh my, would that be an etiquette challenge. (laughs) To wrap up our conversation, we want to encourage you to try as best as you can to endure tolerable bad guest behavior. If it's just something you have to ride out for a day or two, you know, lesson learned, you know what to expect next time, you know kind of ways in which to direct, but maybe this isn't the trip that we do it on. For other circumstances where really your things are being damaged or ruined or you feel like you're being taken advantage of, try to find that way to either suggest that the advantage isn't taken, like we said with the groceries or dinner out. Or to actually feel confident saying these are the rules of our house or this is what's expected in our home. That way you can protect your home, which as a host, you should feel comfortable in your own home. Hopefully all of these things won't be happening to you and you will have good guests in your future.
1: week we celebrate good behavior in the world by highlighting a listener who has a salute for something nice they've seen or experienced.
2: And this week, Isabel has a salute for a stranger and for Dan Post sending.
0: Hi, Lizzie and Dan. This is Isabel calling from Knoxville, Tennessee. I just wanted to let you all know how much I appreciated your postscript segment on compliments. I made it a personal goal a couple of years ago that every time I felt like complimenting someone, I would just go ahead and do it because one time when I was in college, I was just walking to and from class and a girl was jogging next to me and she actually backtracked to give me a compliment. And for her, it was probably a simple thing, but I still remember it. It's so really important to me. And it's really just a gift to yourself when you compliment somebody else. It makes them feel great and you feel great for making somebody's day. But Dan just had a great reminder that it's also great to compliment people on the content of the character and their work. And typically when I compliment people, it's just random strangers usually about their appearance or something like that. So now I'm going to make it a goal to make sure to compliment people I know better about stuff that's more personal and stuff that isn't about appearance. Thanks so much. Love the podcast. That's so lovely.
1: That's really sweet. I'm glowing over here. (laughs) I I think I know how a listener might feel who hears that they've been saluted on air. It really is a treat. And those compliments are so powerful. They really are transformational and transformative. And it takes so little and it can mean so much to someone. That compliment postscript was from episode 90 for anybody who wants to hear more on delivering effective compliments. And once again, thank you to Isabel. And thank you to that person who took the time to stop and compliment Isabel many years ago. It sounds like that one has continued to pay dividends
0: we find that getting along with people is pretty important do you think you can do that
2: oh yes i think i can
1: thank you for listening and thank you to everyone who sent us something your questions comments and feedback all make this show possible you can send your next question, comment, salute, or feedback to awesome Etiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone at 802-866-0860. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette or the Emily Post Institute. Help us out, subscribe on iTunes, and leave us a review. Our theme music was composed and performed by Bob Wagner, and our show is produced by the amazing Hans Buto.